If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 13. Uh, we want to look at uh, verses 1 uh, through 12. Now, we've been sharing this all along because uh, we're trying to follow the protocol. The New Testament church has been on the move since Acts chapter 2. The power of the Holy Spirit uh, fell on the 120 in the upper room. We know that Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, before his ascension back to heaven, after his post uh, 40 day uh, resurrection, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem for 10 days. The promise of the Father will come. He was speaking about the prophecy in Joel chapter 2. Uh, the comforter, uh, the parakletos, uh, the Holy Spirit will fall upon the early church, empower them uh, from on high. The Holy Spirit did exactly that as was promised. The New Testament church began with the Jews first. And then we studied Acts chapter 10 as uh, Mark was speaking concerning salvation. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles there at Cornelius' house in Caesarea. We come to Acts chapter 13. Another first uh, significance in the early church. The church at Antioch, which is roughly, and I want you to see the move now. From the book of Acts chapter 2, they were in Jerusalem, and now they're 300 miles, and they come to Antioch. And Antioch is going to become uh, the base camp operation uh, for Paul the Apostle's ministry. Jerusalem is still considered uh, the mother church, but the missionary church would become uh, from Antioch. Antioch was uh, off the Orontes River, about 16 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. One more significance. Peter will no longer be the central figure. But now it's this Saul of Tarsus that we're going to see in this chapter that his name is changed uh, to Paul. He becomes Paul the Apostle later in the book of Acts in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But it's interesting that the, the, the name Paul means little one. He knew his place. He knew his position. And now he's all about God. They're going to land in Cyprus. Interesting to me that uh, Barnabas, that is accompanying uh, Paul the Apostle, actually Barnabas has been inviting Paul. And Paul is following along. But Paul's going to take the lead. Cyprus is the hometown of Barnabas. It's just a little island. That's why we gave you a map. And you're going to see the first missionary journey. And then it's going to go into the second missionary journey. Paul the Apostle eventually writes the majority of the New Testament church that we have today. Man of God. But it wasn't without trials. And so now I want to pick up the study from last week. In verse 25, because it comes right into uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 1. In verse 25, it says of last week, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry uh, there in Jerusalem. And they also took with them uh, John, whose surname was Mark. This is John Mark. He's a young man at this time. We're going to see later on in the chapter. Uh, he was an, an assistant. That's where he went. He's Barnabas' nephew. 
But he also is a little complainer, and Paul's going to get rid of him soon. But even then, God has a purpose. Not just one missionary team, but we're going to see eventually uh, two missionary teams. And so Barnabas and Saul uh, returned from Jerusalem uh, to Antioch. Again, 300 miles. This after the death of Herod. And we read last week that he was eaten by worms inside out. That's what Josephus, the great Jewish historian, tells us. After they carried the alms of the Christians, listen, uh, at Antioch they gathered for the poor saints in Jerusalem, uh, according to what we read in Acts chapter 11, to support the Jerusalem church concerning uh, the coming famine. Interesting to me because uh, in Jerusalem there was this argument. Can the Gentiles come to saving grace? Can the Gentiles uh, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can the Gentiles do all this when they don't follow the law? And that was the whole concept when Peter gets together with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and God brings them together, Jew and Gentile. Peter would not eat their food. Peter would not go into their household. What I have cleansed, Peter... Do not call common. And we have to thank God this morning. We're part of the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out to us. And now we begin in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1, chapter 13, that is. And the ministry in Asia Minor is going to get started. And that's what you see in your map, so you're not lost. Notice verse 1, now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers. We're going to see some names here, some we know, and, and some we can give some commentary on. But these were men of God. They were prophets and they were teachers there in Antioch. The move of God is already there, and they're going to lay hands. Upon Barnabas and Saul. And, and literally they send them out. But we know it's the Holy Spirit. Now in the church that it was at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon. Who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Manian. Who had been brought up. In Herod the Tetrarch. In his household. And then we speak about Saul. Which would become Paul the Apostle. But I want you to notice how the Holy Spirit is preparing the mission field. There in Antioch, Saul and Barnabas meet with the mission board, if you may. Barnabas is a Jew uh, from Cyprus. Simeon, or Simon, is believed by many scholars, is this black man that carried the cross of Jesus, Simon of Cyrene. The word Niger here is the word that's used for black. Is he Simon of Cyrene who carried the, the cross of Christ to Calvary? Uh, it could be. We're not going to be dogmatic on it. And then Lucius, also of Cyrene, is he another black man? I have to believe so. Manian, now here's interesting. He grew up with young Herod the Tetrarch, uh, or he was called Philip, one of the sons of Herod the Great. It stayed in the family. And so was he a playmate? Some scholars believe that. But this was the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded. He's the same Herod that judged over one of Jesus' trials that we spoke of in Luke chapter 23. 
But Saul of Tarsus, Saul of the city of Tarsus, we're going to see something interesting. He had dual citizenship. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but he was also a Roman citizen. And he's going to use that to his advantage later. But this is Saul of Tarsus, who was saved in Acts chapter 9, the Damascus Road Highway. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he's never been the same. And so this group of men that are there in Antioch, I believe the prophets spoke forth. There were those that were teaching of the Word of God, the Old Testament, but bringing forth the Messiah. But the prophets spoke forth. They probably prophesied. Separate unto us Saul and Barnabas for the work ahead. Notice verse 2. And as they ministered, that's the key. How were they able to know? How were they able to prophesy? How were they able to signify from the Lord that it was Paul, that it was the Saul of Tarsus, and it was Barnabas from Cyprus? The Holy Spirit spoke to them. As they ministered to the Lord, they fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now, uh, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Now, let me be very candid here. Please, don't place such an emphasis on these backgrounds that we studied in verse 1. Which is, can be very important. I'm not taking away from that. But I want to place the emphasis as they were ministering. The word is worshiping. They were worshiping and praising God uh, to the Lord. Notice not only in, in worship and praise, but they were also fasting. Fasting. Giving a place to, to pray, to worship, and giving a place to fast. A true fast is spoken of in Isaiah chapter 58, if you're interested. Now, uh, please don't condemn yourself if you have health problems. If you can't fast, your doctor probably would get angry at you. But there are those that can fast. And there's a time and a place to fast. Now, please, do not fast because you want to lose weight. And do not fast because you want to change the mind of God. A lot of people do that. You want to fast so you conform to the will of God. Lord, what is it that you want? And I give this fast to you. Now, there's different facets of fasting. You can have an all-day fast. You can have a, a two-day fast. You can have a three-day fast. Uh, but you have to have liquid. You should be drinking water at least. And I can truly uh, tell you from experience in time past, in fasting, if it's of the Lord, you're going to be able to do it. Listen. If it's not of the Lord, uh, you're going to want to bite the refrigerator before even opening it. And I don't care where you're at, you're going to smell bacon. I go, what is this? I'm on the desert, I'm praying, Lord, who's cooking bacon out here? The mind plays tricks with you. And so I love these men. They're seeking the Lord. They're worshiping. They're praying. They're ministering to the Lord. They're fasting. And they receive from the Holy Spirit. Separate, sanctify them for me. 
The better translation has set them apart for the ministry I have them to do. The call of the ministry is very important. I want to give you a threefold call because we see it in scripture uh, and I see it in my life. I am an example of that. And a lot of pastors are. Number one, we see the call of the ministry. It's called the self-appointed man. I can do this. I can go to the back of, uh, you know, a matchbox and there I can get a divinity degree. And they think it's easy because they see the television, the television evangelist collecting all the money. Hey, I can do that. And so we have an example of the self-appointed ministry of a man by the name of Korah. We find him back in Numbers chapter 16. He wanted the ministry of Moses. And then secondly, we see the man appointed minister. And that is Saul, the first king of Israel. You find his story in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8. Now Samuel warned the people. The people of Israel went to Samuel and said, we want a king like all the other nations. But God is your king. We want a king like all the other nations. And so they were self-appointing a man. And that man was Saul. And then Saul makes major mistakes. And eventually the kingdom is taken away. But then you have the third aspect. And, and this is the man that's appointed by God. And that has to be a King David. You find his story in 1 Samuel 16. David was anointed king. And he was still a youngster. He was still learning. And he was with Saul. He got to see the mistakes of Saul. He got to see, in a sense, how to be a king. And David is a good king, but he got into a lot of trouble. Uh, David was a man of war. His hands were bloodied. He was not allowed to be, build the temple of God. David also committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover his sin, he had Uriah, her husband, killed. Nathan the prophet comes and, and he busted David. Read Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance by King David. What's interesting about King David, all the things that he did. The Bible says, this is the words of God, he's a man after my own heart. You see, God looks at the heart. We all make mistakes. I've made them. You've made them. We're all sinners saved by grace. And yet God knows my heart. And God knows your heart. And I thank God for that. You know, a lot of times we think we're getting away with things David did. But in Psalm 139, it's called the all-seeing eye of God. God sees everything. You know, I could fool my wife. Some of you guys can fool your wife. But you can't fool God. And you know what's second? You can't fool your children. All oh, your children know more about you than, than you know. When I asked my 10-year-old daughter, when we came to Saving Grace, I said, uh, Mijo, what do you think now of mom and I going to church constantly? What do you think now that we're involved at church? And she thought about it. And, you know, 10-year-old, I expected, oh, this is great, Dad. You know what she said? Dad, you're not drunk anymore. Whoa. Take a knife and stick it in. We think they don't know. They know. And you go and argue with your husband and the wife in the bedroom. 
and you go close the door, you don't think they know? They're right there with a glass. And <laughs> Really? You can't fool your kids. What makes us think we can fool God? What makes us think we can fool God? Look at verse 3 now as we continue. Then having fasted and prayed, they had worshipped and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. Now we don't know much about Barnabas in his calling other than the Holy Spirit separate them for the work of God. I mean, Barnabas had a call, obviously, but we know more about Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus with letters in hand there in Acts chapter 9. He's going to go get Christians. He's going to bring them back, place them on trial. Remember, he consented to Stephen's death, uh, the first deacon of the New Testament church and also the first martyr. But I want you to write this down back in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. Uh, Saul is blinded. We know that. And Ananias is, is a believer in Christ. The Spirit of God speaks to him. I want you to minister uh, to this Saul of Tarsus. I want you to bring him into the house. I want you to care for him. I want you to wash him. He had scales on his eyes for three days. Ananias was afraid. Lord, do you know who he is like God doesn't know, right? And so... Listen to the verse here. The promise of God call upon Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, But the Lord said to him, Go, speaking to Ananias, for he's a chosen a vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, to bear my name before kings, and to bear my name before the children of Israel. And Saul of Tarsus, it becomes Paul the Apostle, did exactly that. Look at verse 16. For I will show him. I think sometimes we, we misunderstand Christianity. Oh boy, I'm in Christ now. I, I'm going to be living the life of luxury. I, I'm going to be basking in peaches and cream. Nothing is ever going to happen to me. Uh, to the contrary, trials, tribulations, hardship, and pain. These are testings in my life. Uh, look at verse 16, the promise for Saul. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. On your own, you're taking notes. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, the testimony of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthian church. But now we come to verse 4 in Acts chapter 13. I love the caption in my Bible, preaching in Cyprus. You'll notice the map. It's just a small island. But God had a purpose. He was beginning the first missionary journey. Begins now the Asia Minor ministry. And it's going to cover Acts chapter 13 and then chapter 14. Uh, but there are other missionary works that Paul will be part of. This is just the first one now. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, uh, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed unto Cyprus. The church at Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas. Now remember, man can send you 
But it's the Holy Spirit who sends you and sustains you. Now, man can send you if the Holy Spirit is not in it. And there will be no eternal dividends. You see, the Bible says that God knows the heart. They went down to Cilicia, where we're not told of any ministry there in Cilicia, but I have to believe that they did some kind of ministry there. It was near the city of Antioch. Saul and Barnabas were there. It's a port city that's near Antioch. But I believe they had to have ministered there, but there's no record of it. Because wherever Paul went, he ministered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to get back to this portion. You might send yourself. Your friends might send you. There might be a prayer group at church that will send you. There are mission groups that send out people. I understand that. But if the Holy Spirit is not in it, I can honestly tell you it's all going to be in vain. You see, God knows the heart. I want you to write the verse down. You all know it. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful and is desperately wicked above all things. And then he says, who knows the heart? God knows my heart. God knows your heart. Most of you know my testimony. Uh, Mary and I have been here over 33 years now. And I tell you what, I, uh, my family still thinks I'm kind of crazy. But to move 850 miles, to move from the comforts of Southern California, I, I miss the Dodgers, I miss the Lakers, I miss the ocean. Uh, well, we got the real grand, what am I complaining about? <laughs> I miss our mountains. But you know what? I could never move back because this is where God has called me. And when God calls you, how are you going to deny it? And coming here, being part of the ministry, Mary and I have done things. Mary and I have traveled that we probably never would have done in Southern California. I have family. The Hispanic culture, our families, they live about a 25, 50 mile radius. Some of them have not even been, you know, out of country. They have not been out of the state. To them, leaving the state is going to Las Vegas and coming back. I said, you didn't go to Las Vegas. You went to the great vacuum in the sky. <laughs> That's another, another sermon. <laughs> but God has called them to Cyprus. God has called them. I believe these men knew because they laid hands on them. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Uh, look at verse 5 now. And when they arrived in Salamis, or Salamis, uh, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. This is John Mark. Uh, Salamis was the capital of the island of Cyprus. Later, it would be called Constantia. Uh, today, it's called Salina, located on the east part of Cyprus. Uh, the key, they preached the word of God at Salamis. Uh, they gave them the doctrine of God. And again, John Mark is Barnabas's nephew. He was their assistant. Listen, the word assistant is a servant. The word servant is a diakonos, a servant of the Lord. 
And John's just the youngster, and he's going to be sniveling away later, and Paul's going to uh, tell him, leave. And it hurts Barnabas, but God causes two ministries. Sometimes God will do that. And we don't quite understand it. But the gospel is being preached. Uh, look at verse 6. And when they had gone through uh, the island of Paphos, or to Paphos, so they went through uh, Cyprus and they went to the island of Paphos, uh, they found a certain sorcerer. Listen, uh, when the ministry is on the move, trust me, I, I speak from experience. Some of you know and understand, here comes the enemy. Here comes Satan, Lucifer, the devil, the dragon. He's got a lot of names. He was called Beelzebub. He's going to come and he's going to send his, his, his army. The fallen angels that we find of in Revelation chapter 12. There's a third of them. And we know that they have power. We know that they have authority. But God is greater. And God's angels are greater. And so... Here they come to minister. They've been ministering. There at Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Notice that they traveled through the island of, of Cyprus, in other words, from east to west, to Paphos. Uh, the city is called Bapha today. What was going on there in Paphos uh, they were into the worship of Venus. Uh, they encountered uh, this sorcerer, this false prophet. His name is Bar-Jesus. There was a temple uh, to Venus. Back in the 1960s, there were excavations done on earth, and they came up with various buildings. Listen to this. One of them, a very public-type building. It could have been... Uh, this were the proconsul was, as we're going to continue to study. Uh, this could have been their little miniature White House, if you may. And so I like when we read the scriptures. And then people say, oh, that can't happen. There was a, a long time before anybody was, I'm talking about the critics, believing there was a Pontius Pilate. Until one day they unearthed it. We saw the plaque when we went to Israel. And I, don't, I go, where's the critics? Nobody's saying nothing about Pontius Pilate because he was a reality. But they'll go to something else. And so excavations are always done in Israel. They're constantly doing uh, digs. I love that. Paphos is just a, a small community there. It's called, the word means heated, but listen to their background. They were known for their immorality and their spiritual darkness. This were, this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, comes into play. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. He was also called uh, Sergius Paulus. He was a Roman, uh, part of the Roman uh, protocol there in Cyprus. He was part of the proconsul of Cyprus. Interesting. Did they go to him for answers? You know, Bar-Jesus, would you bring out the Ouija board? Would you, you know, give us some insight? Did you bring your eight ball today? Are you going to read my tea leaves? I mean, there's all kinds of things. 
I was thinking about President Reagan. Remember him? Great man of God. Great president. We found out later after his death that his wife, Nancy, had a card reader, had a stargazer. She brought charts to, uh, to her. Did President Reagan know? I don't know. But do we trust sorcery? Or do we trust God? I mean, this was then. Was this the ministry of Bar-Jesus? Because he's going to be concerned that he might lose his job. And so, the governor and, and those that were part of the proconsul, he wants to hear the word of God. And this guy tries to stop it. We're going to see it right now. Look at verse 7. Who was with the proconsul? This is this bar Jesus, Sergius Pallas, uh, an intelligent man, a brilliant man. This man called for uh, Barnabas and Saul and brought uh, to hear the, the word of God. Now, this is not the bar Jesus that wants this. I believe it's the governor uh, that wants to hear the word of God. And I found that intriguing. Is it because of curiosity? Sometimes it is. Has his heart been softened? It could very well be. Was somebody praying for him? I believe so. I believe so. You might not agree with our government. You might not agree with our president. But I have to ask you as a believer, as a Christian, the Bible says we're to pray for those that, that have rule over us. But Pastor Bob, I don't like him. I don't like his ruling. That's not what the Bible says. You're called to pray. And you know what my prayer is? Lord, change his heart. You know what my prayer is? Lord, save him. You know what my prayer is? Lord, speak to him. Give him a vision, Lord. Bring him to his knees. You say, oh, Pastor Bob, God can't do that. You don't study the word of God. God can do whatever he wants. Or could he be that that's exactly the role that God wants for our leadership in our country? I don't know. But our place is to pray. But the proconsul there, I believe it's the governor. He wants to have an audience with Paul and Barnabas. Now, watch what the sorcerer does. But Elimas, the sorcerer, uh, for so his name is translated, he withstood them. Uh, seeking uh, to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Listen to the Amplified Translation. Elimas, this wise man, for what is the translation of his name, which he had given himself, opposed them, uh, seeking to keep the proconsul from accepting the faith. This governing consul, so Elimas, this bar Jesus, uh, sensed that if the Pro, proconsul accepted the message of Barnabas and Saul. Could it be that he was concerned of his own position? Was it at stake? I mean, he was probably getting paid. He was probably part of the payroll as a spiritual advisor. Listen, here's the key. You can come against the word of God, but you cannot stop it. How can you stop the Holy Spirit? 
There's a lot of concern in our country right now. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. I get a lot of emails, and we have a lot of meetings with pastors here in our own community. There's a lot of concerns because uh, the ruling on same-sex marriage, the continued ruling on abortion, What's going to happen to the church as far as when somebody comes to me, and it's a gay couple, obviously, and they say they want to get married? I have to make a decision. I have to make a stand. And when I say no, I could be in a lot of trouble because of the laws. Our church could be in a lot of trouble. And we're working on bylaws right now to make some changes. But even then, the things that are coming down the the road, we better be ready. And so I was thinking, what if we set up, you know, our bylaws so that we protect ourselves? We need to marry a biological man to a biological woman. Because people are having sex changes. You can have a sex change, you can change your name, but you're still either a biological man or biological woman. And so decisions have to be made. So we make the decisions on same-sex marriage. And everything's fine. But then a gay couple comes and wants me to do their memorial service, the spreading of the ashes, the burial of their loved one. You say, that's not going to happen. We got people that are refusing to make uh, a, a gay marriage cake for their wedding. And they're getting in trouble. It's time to pray. It's a time to pray. And so, what's going on here? The sorcerer is trying to keep away Paul and Barnabas, but the curiosity of the softened heart, we're going to see it's the governor with somebody praying for him, or, or is this part of his mockery? It could very well be. Either way, he was about to hear the true gospel. Again, how can you stop two men of God that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, this Saul and Barnabas, and they're going to bring forth the word of God, and it it hits the heart. Look at, in verse 8, but it says, Elamus doesn't want to allow this to happen. (laughs) In verse 9, then Saul, who also is called uh, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Here in verse 9, we, we see his name change. Luke chooses now. The Holy Spirit told him it's time to change his name. Who also is called Paul, filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at him, this sorcerer. Saul, who is also called Paul, Filled, I like what one commentary said, not only filled by the Holy Spirit, but also controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's overflowing with the Spirit of God. He looked steadily at Elimas. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. He has dual citizenship. Later, he's going to use that citizenship of Rome to his advantage. But I want you to see the sorcerer now. There's been times people know who I am and they've left the church. Maybe they caused problems. Maybe they didn't. I heard certain things. 
And then when I see them, I look at them and I don't realize that I can stare. They become very uneasy. And I don't do it on purpose. I'm not just going to stare you down. It's the Holy Spirit's job. But it's long enough for them to. And I've had several times. What are you looking at? Nothing. And that's a dig. Nothing. You're nothing. But what are you convicted of? Well, you know, it's at Walmart. That's at Albertsons. And I got a basket of vegetables and, and fruit. And they got a bit, uh, vegetable. They got, they got a, a cart full of booze. I said, "Well, I guess I'm looking at your at your groceries." They get convicted, but it's not me that you need to be afraid of. It's God that you need to be afraid of. You answer to God. You don't answer to me. But I like that Paul's staring him down. Uh, the guys would say in the hood, he's mad-dogging him. <laughs> he's looking right through him. But notice now, when he's looking at him, listen to what he says in verse 10. And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, you that, uh, will you not cease perverting? The straight way of the Lord. And so Paul filled with the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Overflowing of the Holy Spirit. Is looking intently at the false teacher. This sorcerer bar Jesus. And Paul says the son of the devil. He uses the word diabolos. The word diabolos in the Greek is the accuser. It's also the slanderer. <laughs> we find that. Uh, in, in the book of Revelation, that he is the accuser of all the brethren, uh, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Notice, he gets, takes it further, full of deceit, the word deceit. Uh, you're a schemer. You're full of schemes. You're full of trickery. You have your bag of tricks, in other words, and all fraud. The word fraud is uh, all mischief. That's what you're about. All lies, that's what you're about. And you are the enemy of righteousness. You see, we were all unrighteous. The best translation, we were all unrighteous. We were wrong living for God. And now this sorcerer, he is the enemy of righteousness. You are the enemy of right living for God. Radical statement here. And then he concludes that will you ever stop perverting, a com uh, listen, corrupting the true way of God. That's the ministry of Satan. That's the ministry of the devil. He has come to search and destroy. He has come to accuse you. And, and when somebody accuses you and, and you're not guilty, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. There was a time where we had uh, some problems here at the ministry. And so letters were going to Costa Mesa concerning Pastor Bob. And when I went for conference, I went to my home church. And I see our assistant pastor out there, Dale. And he goes, hey, Bob, how's it going? I go, going great. 
He goes, what are you doing out there? Are we getting a letter a week about you? And he's laughing away. I, I didn't like that. He goes, don't worry. We have a place where we store those. <laughs> File it, right? The accuser of the brethren. Satan wants to accuse you day and night before the Father. You know what Jesus says? He's one of mine. She's one of mine. We're covered under the blood of the Lamb. Look at verse 11 and 12. We're going to come to the conclusion. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you shall be blind. He's speaking to the sorcerer. Not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately... A dark mist, the word mist there is a medical term. What came over him, some believe, a strong oozing of the eyes of some type. A mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, I found this intriguing because Paul, which was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, back in Acts chapter 9, a similar situation took place. And he was blinded for three days. And eventually, he was taken by the hand. He was led, this powerful man. And he was taken into Damascus. And then he goes to Ananias' house. For three days, he's blinded. He takes care of him. He lays hands on him. He baptizes them. He washes his face and, and the scales fall off. And then when Paul finally leaves Damascus, he leaves in a basket. This powerful man. He was going to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 with letters in hand. He had authority to bring back Christians, men, women, children in shackles. And put them up in a kangaroo type court. And then find them guilty. And then he would consent to their death. I want to share this. Paul, I believe, is reminiscing on his own dilemma back in Acts chapter 9. Uh, mark this down on your own. Sometimes God has to strike us down before we cry out to him. Sometimes God has to strike us down before I cry out to him. Back many years ago, we were in Southern California. We hadn't come to Saving Grace. My wife is having our third child, Lisa Marie, apple of our eye. When she was born, she was born jaundice. Now, I don't understand medical terms. I know what jaundice is now. I know it's not death-threatening. But when the doctor comes in and says, your daughter has jaundice, she has it so bad, your wife can't take her home. She can go home. You can take Mary home. But the baby has to stay. Hey, that breaks parents' heart. I'm sitting there watching my wife cry like a baby. She can't take her child home. I had to tell her. The doctor had to tell her. Lisa stayed in the hospital probably another four or five days. Mary came and nursed her every day and such. And not the same, ladies. You know that. She couldn't take her home. And every time I went to the hospital, they had a chapel at the bottom. And I went to the chapel. I got on my knees and I cried out to God. I made a lot of promises to God that I didn't keep right away. But I think one of the promises is where I'm at today. 
I, I said, Lord, I will serve you. Heal our daughter. Heal our daughter. Our daughter loves to hear that story. And I like to be reminded of that story. And again, sometimes God has to strike us down before we cry out. And so, God has to get a hold of this man. God has to get a hold of him. But he's not paying attention. In verse 12, then the protocol or the proconsul believed. The governor believed when he saw what had been done to the sorcerer. Being astonished now at the teachings of the Lord. He was trying to detract from the word of God to go to the governor. But he saw. He saw the sorcerer. This caused him to become a believer. Again, sometimes God does things in my life. He does things in your life. I've seen it here in the ministry for years. People that have cancer, they've come to the Lord. People that have uh, cancer come back after being dormant. They get stronger in Christ. There's something about trials as it chips away the old man and the old woman in Christ. This is just the beginning of the ministry of Barnabas and Saul. And then later it's going to be Paul, the apostle, and Silas. And then we're going to see Barnabas take his nephew, John Mark, and they're going to go another way. And they get into it. But God had a reason. God had a purpose. We're seeing, as you look at your map, the beginning of the mission field. We're part of that field here in the 21st century. Praise God, the things that he's done and the things that he's going to do, he's not finished. We're going to ask the music team to come back up. We're going to prepare for communion service. I want you to examine your hearts. I want you to get right with God if you're not right. Uh, You need to be born again of the Holy Spirit to truly receive communion as the bread represents the body of Christ. And, and, you know, the drink, the cup represents the blood of Christ. Now, would you please all stand? We're going to end in prayer. And then when the music gets started, Terry's up here in the front. I want you to go from the first row here and then the second row. Go this way. Take your elements. Come back to the chair and then wait and and uh, we'll partake together if you can't come up get somebody uh, to get a hold of the elements for you okay let's pray father we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy lord thank you for the word of god that will not come back void isaiah tells us thank you lord that the proconsul Uh, The governor there heard the word of God and he was convicted even though the sorcerer tried, but he did not accomplish. Lord, prepare us now for the communion service. Koinonia, fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray.